are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. John 18, uh, verses 15 to 27. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then went, then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Well, it's good to gather with you this afternoon. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I hope we can meet uh, afterwards today. But I'm looking forward to diving into God's word with you into John chapter 18. Before we do that, as we do every week, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time. So would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks that you are an unchanging God. You are faithful. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are sovereign over everything. And God, we thank you that in your providence, you saw fit for us to be here today, to be in this room, to be gathered online. God, we thank you that isn't it by mistake that you want us to be here to sing together, to have your word read over us, to pray together, to have your word now preached over us. And so God, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to what you want to communicate today. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We thank you that you've given us the gift of the gathered church, that we're not a bunch of disconnected individuals, but you've brought us together as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another and we need to receive your word together. 
So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to listen and to learn, to lean in, to be transformed and changed because we spend time here with each other under the authority of your scriptures, your words. God, help us to see Jesus rightly today so that we might follow him fully in every aspect of our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Have you ever had a friend that talks a big game? You know, the person who maybe is super confident about anything that comes their way. Maybe it's a sporting event or uh, an activity or a project. And they're like, man, I can crush this. Bring it on. I got it. I can take care of it. But isn't it ironic and a little funny that sometimes that same person ends up really just being all talk? They can't actually back up what they've been saying when the time comes. Like the person who says, man, I'm not scared of anything, and then sees a spider on the couch cushion next to them and screams. When we come to our text today in John 18, we see Peter is that guy. The section of the story that we're going to be in in John chapter 18 continues to advance the narrative as Jesus is willingly going to the cross. But even though it's advancing the story, there's something for us to see, something for us to learn about Peter, about Jesus, and about ourselves. Maybe you talk a big game like Peter. Maybe you don't. But the reality is all of us are tempted. All of us are tempted in our lives, especially when things are hard, especially when things are challenges, we're tempted towards either foolishness or fear instead of walking in faithfulness. That's what's at the root of Peter's actions, the one we saw last week in our text and the ones we see in our text this week, that Peter's tempted towards foolishness and fear, but it isn't all bad news because in the midst of Peter's failures that we see on display, we see a picture of the faithfulness of our Savior. So my hope for you today, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, no matter whether or not your faith is strong right now or you're struggling right now, my hope for you is that you'll be able to see yourself in Peter, but find your hope in Jesus. That you'll see yourself in Peter, but find your hope in Jesus. That while you may be tempted towards fear, while you may be tempted towards foolishness, that you would know and rest in the truth that you have a Redeemer who through his faithfulness enables you to be faithful. So let's jump into John chapter 18 and may we see Jesus more clearly today. As we come to our text, we see that things are beginning to move quickly. In a matter of a few interactions and interrogations, Jesus is going to be handed over to be crucified. But first, Peter is in view. Our text today unfolds in three scenes, and those will really be our outline for our time together this afternoon. Three scenes, one with Jesus and two with Peter. And at first glance, they kind of seem misplaced because the second scene kind of seems to interrupt the first one and the third one. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the intention of John, the author who's writing this, they're placed next to one another because in this, it helps us to see something, that faithfulness overcomes fear. And so I want to walk through each scene and then draw out some lessons learned, some implications for our own lives. The first scene takes place in verses 15 through 18. 
Our text last week ended with Jesus being arrested in the garden. And we saw in verse 14 that he was taken to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who's the high priest that year. Annas at one point had been the high priest. And he likely still held a whole lot of power and a whole lot of influence. He's kind of like the high priest emeritus. Like he's still hanging around. He's still there. People still want to know what he has to say and what he thinks, even though he's not officially in that role anymore. Jesus is led away to him, but we see in verse 15 that Peter, ever desiring to be with Jesus, ever desiring to protect Jesus, follows along with this other disciple. And we don't know who this other disciple is. Many scholars say it's most likely John, and there's some reason to think that's the case. John, who's actually writing this story, but we don't know for sure, and it doesn't really matter. But see, these two disciples, Peter and this other disciple, they come to this place where Jesus has been taken. It isn't a special building. It's most likely Annas' house, this kind of walled-off complex of sorts. And so if you've ever been to a place like that, like there's a, a large structure, a large house behind a gated kind of wall, a gated community, if you will. And so there's a door that has to be entered to get into this inner courtyard, a courtyard that's large enough to have a decent-sized group in it. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a, a fan of the Washington Nationals. I know that's surprising to some of you. <clears throat> I'm such a fan that I'm actually a season ticket holder as well. And as a season ticket holder, there's some perks I get with being a season ticket holder. There's a dedicated line for season ticket holders to get into the ballpark. There's a dedicated line where I can bypass everyone else getting food and get food faster and quicker than most everyone else. It's great when you want to get Shake Shack at Nats Park. Now I have a pass that identifies me as a season ticket holder. It says that I, I'm able to go do these things and it gives me access to it. If I don't have it, then I don't get to get in one of those lines. But here's the thing, I have the pass. And if you're with me, then you get to go do those things too. And that's exactly what's going on here with this other disciple. We see this take place with Peter in verse 16. Look at verse 16, it says, but Peter stood outside of that door. He wasn't, didn't have access into this courtyard. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. This other disciple is known some way by the high priest. And so he has access into this courtyard, but Peter finds himself waiting outside. But because this other disciple has access, he allows Peter to enter in with him. He goes and talks to the servant girl. Peter's allowed to go inside, but not without some questioning. The doorkeeper is this young servant girl. She knows this unnamed disciple is a follower of Jesus. And so she asks Peter if he is one too. Look at the beginning of verse 17. The servant, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Do you sense the disdain in her question? her condescending tone towards Peter. She asked the question with an indication that the better answer to that question would be no, not yes. I mean, have you ever experienced this in your life where someone asks you a leading question? Now, sometimes it's about unimportant things. Like you don't like the Phillies, do you? Or you don't watch that show, do you? Sometimes it's about more substantive things. You didn't vote for that person, did you? You're not one of those born again Christians, are you? See, in those moments, 
when there's something more substantive on the line, we're often caught off guard and we freeze up. We're not sure of the person's intentions of why they're asking this leading question. So we're not sure what to do. And sometimes we flounder our response, which is exactly what Peter seems to do. Look at his response at the end of verse 17. He says, I am not. This is so striking to me. In our text last week, we saw Peter's foolishness on display. That this whole cohort of people, this guards and people with weapons come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, in his foolishness, pulls out a sword and flails his sword around and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. It's a foolish action. Like, what did he think he was actually going to accomplish in that moment? But now, in this moment, big tough Peter, who seemed to be willing to take on anyone and everyone and fight against them, this imposing force, is asked a simple question from a little girl, and he shrinks back in fear. I am not his disciple. John doesn't give any commentary. He just continues to tell the story. Look at verse 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Peter's right there in the mix. He's standing in and around this group of people, this group of people who had just arrested Jesus. Peter's just hanging out there. This brings us to our next scene, scene number two in verses 19 through 24, we shift our focus away from Peter for a moment and on to Jesus. Look at verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. The high priest emeritus questions Jesus. We don't know exactly what it is that he says, but we know the content of what he asked. His questions towards Jesus are about Jesus' disciples and Jesus' teaching. It seems to be primarily a theological kind of question. And at its core, it goes back to that most important question that we can ask and answer. Who is Jesus? That's what he's trying to answer. Who are you? But while his concern isn't about politics, it's certainly about power. See, Jesus has upended the status quo of religious influence and power. More and more people have been following him. More and more people are listening to Jesus and they've stopped listening to the religious leaders of the day. And so those leaders, they don't like it. Annas asks about his disciples and his teaching. But notice Jesus doesn't speak about his disciples and his response. Like a good shepherd, he's protecting his sheep. He refers only to himself and what he has said and what he has taught. Look at verses 20 and 21. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Now, when he says he's spoken openly and not in secret, he doesn't mean that he's never said anything in private or taught in private. We know that he's done that with his disciples as he's just spent time with them, talking to them. What he's saying is, is that he hasn't sought to teach or hasn't taught two different messages. One that's different in public than the one he says in private. There wasn't a difference to the tone and tenor and content of what Jesus was saying. No, Jesus is consistent. He's consistent in every way. He's not two-faced. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. He's consistent in every setting, no matter who his audience is. What I've taught 
always and everywhere, Jesus says, is all the same. What's the message that Jesus has been teaching? What's the message he's been declaring throughout the gospel of John? He has said to us, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the vine. What Jesus has been telling us all throughout the gospel of John is that the kingdom of God is at hand, that rescue and redemption has come, that he is the savior and the son, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that light has come into the darkness, that life has come into a place of death. And if you want to know what I'm teaching, if you want to know what I'm saying, you don't need to ask me. Go ask all of the people who have believed and who are following me. The officer standing there next to Jesus doesn't like his response, so he open-handedly slaps Jesus. Who are you that you would speak to the high priest in this way, that you would answer him in this way? Now, in my house, we often talk to our kids about being respectful, respectful of us and respectful of others. It's something our kids, like a lot of kids, can struggle with. It's something that we can struggle with as adults. We tend not to like authority, especially when the authority is an obstacle to what we want. See, the officer here thinks Jesus is being disrespectful. Don't you see the authority of this man over you? How dare you speak to him in this way? But is that the case? Is Jesus being disrespectful? No, not at all. He's simply pressing into the heart of what's really going on. They know what Jesus taught. They've heard it before. They know who Jesus claimed to be. The problem is they don't like it. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like who he's saying he is. See, maybe what's really going on in this moment is that this officer, along with this high priest and other religious leaders who are likely there are being humbled. They're being humbled by the one who humbly is standing before them. The one who's actually in authority, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yet here he is, bound, arrested, being interrogated and now assaulted. And he's done absolutely nothing wrong. In this moment, everything that's happening to Jesus is unjust. But Jesus, he doesn't respond with being upset. Jesus doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't revile his revilers. He simply asks, verse 23, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? See, Jesus is making a point that his truthful self-defense is not sinful, but righteous. What Jesus is doing here is establishing that he has done nothing wrong, but what they're doing is wrong. It has no basis in truth. They've arrested and are interrogating an innocent man. Now this seems to bring the end, the end to the interaction because Annas, as we see in verse 24, sends Jesus to the actual current high priest, Caiaphas. At the end of the day, they want Jesus eliminated, but they can't take that into their own hands. They can't kill him or crucify him, but they know that Pilate can. But before he can go appear before Pilate, he has to go appear before the high Jewish court, the Sanhedrin and the high priest. And so off he goes. Which brings us to our third and final scene in verses 25 to 27. Let me read these together for us. It says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, 
you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. In a matter of seconds, what seemed to be like a moment of weakness with the servant girl at the door now looks like a sad downward descent into further fear for Peter. See, the second instance comes with basically the same leading question. You aren't one of those Jesus followers, are you? Peter quickly denies it. I'm not, I'm not. Probably hoping for things to move on. But instead, things kind of heat up. Perhaps the fire flared a bit to reveal Peter's face a little bit more. And one person in particular takes notice, a relative of the man whose ear Peter slashed off. Wait a minute. I know I've seen you before. Yeah, yeah, I was in the garden. I'm pretty sure you were there too. Peter's backed into a corner. He's dug a hole for himself that's too deep to get out. And instead of that moment saying, oh my goodness, yes, you're right. I I am one of his followers. I have been one of his disciples. I was there. John simply records, Peter again denied it. And the rooster crowed. This is a reference back to John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. In John chapter 13, Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to be leaving them. And Peter, being the ambitious one that he is, says, well, wait a minute, where are you going? I want to go too. And he tells him, no, you can't go where I'm going, Peter. Peter Peter wouldn't settle for that though. Peter talked a big game. He said, Man, I'll be faithful to the end, Jesus. I'll go do whatever you need me to do. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll even lay down my life for you, Jesus. But Jesus knows Peter's heart. And he knows Peter's temptations. And he knows Peter's weaknesses. And I love that about Jesus. He knows every single detail of your life, every aspect, every fear that you have, every temptation that you have. It doesn't flick you away or cast you off because of it. He knows Peter. So he tells him, no, Peter, no, you won't be faithful. You'll give in to fear. You won't lay down your life. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Man, what hard words to hear from Jesus. We don't know exactly how Peter reacted to Jesus telling him that in John 13, but we could reasonably assume based off Peter's other actions, no way, not me. Maybe somebody else, but not me. But yet here we are. John doesn't give us any indication of Peter's reaction after what Jesus said would happen, happens to the T. But Luke records it in his gospel. Luke twenty two sixty two says, and he went out and wept bitterly. See, in this moment, everything comes to a head for Peter and for Jesus. Peter reacted foolishly and cut off a guy's ear. And now because of fear, He doesn't just deny Jesus, he disowns him. But Jesus, even though he's isolated, even though he's alone, remains faithful. Like I said at the beginning, this story moves the narrative along as Jesus willingly goes to the cross. But what are we supposed to learn from this? What is it that we can take away from this for our own lives? The culture we live in, that we find ourselves in, prides itself on self-preservation. 
this idea that you need to do whatever you have to do to survive whatever comes your way. The ends justify the means. If this makes sense and I'm gonna survive this and I'm gonna get through this and it doesn't matter how I get there. So from the world's perspective, Peter's doing just that. He's just preserving himself so he might live another day. He might fight another fight. He's looking out for himself. From the world's perspective, Jesus should actually take some advice from Peter. Jesus, if you knew what was good for you, you would just go along with things so you don't get yourself in a bad situation because everything seems to be unraveling for you, Jesus. You look like a failure. You know what? God's ways often look upside down from the world's ways. God often does things different than the way the world would do them. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And he is faithful to see his plans and his purposes come to fruition. And we see that on display in this text. Peter is fickle. Jesus is steadfast. Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing. Peter says, I am not, I am not. Jesus says, I am, I am. Peter's full of fear. Jesus is fully faithful. Faithful to the plan of redemption put in place before the foundation of the world. That the eternal son of God would enter into the mess of this world, humbly taking on our humanity and willingly go to the cross. Jesus is resolute in his commitment to redeem a world shattered by sin. He's committed to rescue his people from their rebellion. Like Mark said last week, Jesus is in control. This isn't out of his control. He knows what's going on. Yet in this moment, when the world would say, no, Jesus, just preserve yourself. It doesn't matter what happens in this moment. He isn't seeking to be self-persevering. No, Jesus is seeking to be a self-sacrificing substitute for sinners like you and me. Not because we deserve it, but because we need it. It's why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the great physician who came to those who are, not those who think they are well, not to those who think that they are righteous, but to those who are sick with sin. Those who can't fix their biggest problem, those who can't overcome their greatest obstacle of sin and death. People like Peter, people like you, and people like me. See, Peter thought, he thought that he could do it all on his own. Peter thought that he could follow Jesus by his own strength, that he could follow Jesus by his own power, by his own ability, like he was strong enough to do this, that he would follow Jesus anywhere, that he was gonna do great things for God. But you know what? The reality is Peter couldn't truly and fully follow Jesus until Jesus died for him, died for his foolishness and for his fear and for his failure and for his self-sufficiency and for his sin. The same is true for you and for me. Now, are there times in your life when you either think that you're capable or think you have to be capable, when you struggle with self-sufficiency, believing that you have to be capable to get ahead or be successful or be liked or even please God? Do you ever struggle with fear of man? Fear of what others think about you? 
fear of what others think about your faith, that you're a follower of Jesus too. Maybe it's with a coworker or a neighbor or a family member or a friend. Maybe it's with a classmate on campus or in school. Do you ever struggle with unbelief? Like, God, is this really real? Is this really worth it? Does it really matter? I know I do. I can. I can think that. It'd just be better to be quiet and keep my head down and move along. Why do I need to stand up for this now? But listen to me. You are where you are on purpose and because of providence. You live where you live. You work where you work. You're in the city that you're in. You know the people that you know, not by happenstance, not by circumstance, not by serendipity. You're there because our God is providential and sovereign over every detail of your life. Which means that all of those things that are true of your life are purposeful because God has something for you to do. He could have saved you and taken you out of the world. But he left you here because he has a mission for you to carry out. Good works that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. But that doesn't mean it's easy. I mean, you and I live in a world that's set against God and his gospel. Jesus told us that if the world hated him, they're certainly going to hate you. That's a hard truth. And it can make being faithful, remaining faithful, a difficult road to walk. So when you're confronted with either standing with Christ and for Christ or preserving yourself, your image or your reputation or your life, you can be tempted to go with the flow and set Jesus aside. Now, this isn't something that we like to admit. It's not something we like to talk about. It feels embarrassing to us, maybe even indicting to us. My guess is all of us at some point and in some way struggle with this. But that's why we need a text like this. It isn't just meant to be informational, but transformational for our lives. Jesus' faithfulness in this moment actually enables Peter to be faithful later, to be transformed, to be made new, so that he could be who Jesus has called him to be, not out of his own ability but because Christ is at work in him and through him. Again, the same thing is true for you and for me. Listen, you are not called to be impressive. You're not called to be a big deal or significant in this world. Most of us will be ordinary people from the world's perspective. You are called to be faithful. To do, as Hebrews 12 says, to run with endurance the race that is set before us with our eyes fixed on who? on ourselves, with our eyes fixed on our strengths, with our abilities, what we can accomplish on our own to make things happen, to get things done. No, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and founder and perfecter of our faith who for joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you don't want to give in to foolishness in your life, if you don't want to give in to fear in your life, if you want to remain faithful until Jesus comes again or calls you home, you don't need to talk a big game. You don't need to hype yourself up in the mirror. You don't need to tell yourself that you can do this. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. The author of Hebrews goes on, goes on to say in Hebrews 12:3, consider him, think about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, listen to this, so that you, so that you may not grow weary 
or faint-hearted. Jesus remained faithful. He remained faithful in the face of abject adversity so that you would not grow weary. He remained faithful so that you would not grow faint-hearted. He remained faithful so that you would remain faithful in him no matter what comes your way. That's what Peter needed. That's what you and I need. The loving faithfulness of Christ overcomes all fear. Fear of man, fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of judgment. In Christ and through Christ, you can be redeemed and restored. In Christ and through Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You may see yourself in Peter, but find your hope in Jesus. Don't lose heart, don't fear. Instead, come to him. Come to him now, whether that's for the first time ever in your life or for the thousandth time. To the one who says to you, as Edward read at the beginning of our service, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sojourn, fix your eyes on him who is called faithful and true. Amen. You know, one of the gifts of gathering together as the church is to be reminded that we're not in this alone. You're not a disconnected individual. There's something different about being with God's people versus just listening to a sermon on your own. You're receiving this together. You're able to see people around you. God has gifted you with a family of brothers and sisters who are running this race with you. It's good to be together. It's a gift to be able to take communion with one another. A meal that reminds us and refreshes us in what Jesus has accomplished for us because he wasn't foolish, because he wasn't fearful and remained faithful to the end. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. We drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. It reminds us of what he's done. And so as you eat and drink today, let me encourage you to repent of self-sufficiency to repent of self-preservation, to repent of any fear that you have. And as you eat and drink, to rejoice and give thanks to the sufficient and sustaining grace that has been lavished on you because Christ was faithful to the end. As you eat and drink today, give thanks for the brothers and sisters who God has gifted to you and you to them to help one another remain faithful and focused on Christ. And if you don't yet know Jesus, we would just ask you not to take communion. This is a, a gift of grace to us as a church that testifies to our faith in Christ, that our only hope is in him. So if you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, instead of eating and drinking these elements today, we want you to take Jesus. That you would cry out to him even in this moment to save you and make you new. And if you have questions about what it means to know him or follow him, please come talk to me afterwards or any of these other people. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you and walk this journey with you. For those of you that will take communion, if you haven't grabbed the elements already, they're on a table out in the lobby. Just grab those and take time to pray, take time to reflect, take time to repent and rejoice, and then we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. Faithful God, we thank you for sending your faithful son to be our faithful savior. Thank you, God, that you overcame our greatest obstacle, sin and death. Thank you that by your faithfulness, we can walk in faithfulness, Jesus, instead of foolishness or fear. 
And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to fix our eyes on Christ so that we would not grow weary or faint-hearted. God, thank you for this community of people, these brothers and sisters that can help us to run the race that lies before us. That collectively, we can set our gaze on our wonderful Redeemer, our wonderful Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. Go in peace.